Welcome, Pastor Dave. Thank you, Kent. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I don't know any other way to start out my season with you than to acknowledge this straight out. Um, the Evergreen Church is in a difficult place these days. We are in a difficult place these days. Um, the body blows that this church has had to absorb are stunning, really. I mean, the havoc that COVID brought into our lives uh, and to our experience of being the church, uh, you know, this was, this was crushing enough. And then just when it seemed that things were beginning to turn around, when we were able to be together again in our churches and in this church, gaining some momentum after the, the time of COVID, the second body blow came last month and, uh, and continues to unfold. Uh, confusion and questions still swirl. You know, I mean, what happened? How did that happen? Why did it happen? Um, now, to those of you who are streaming with us this morning in our worship service, uh, or joining us later on Vimeo. Uh, I apologize if you don't understand what I'm talking about. But suffice it to say, suffice it to say that a series of painful decisions and events have suddenly reduced the staff of our church uh, to only a remnant, a, a valiant remnant, it should be said. Um, but it's left virtually everyone among us alternating between shock and anger and frustration and brokenheartedness, grief, and even fear for the future. Uh, some of you watching at home this morning, and maybe some of you in the room, haven't yet made up your minds whether you want to continue being part of this church family, or maybe even part of the church anymore. I mean, it's been that painful. And I am so sorry. Do you remember the verse that I left you with last week uh, from Second Chronicles chapter 20? Um, the king of Judah had received news of an overwhelming army threatening on their border, amassed, ready to sweep in and destroy them. And then do you remember the, the prayer of King Jehoshaphat? Oh Lord, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do in the face of this overwhelming difficulty. We don't know what to do but our eyes are on you. So when, it, when a church faces the range of emotions and bewilderment that Evergreen is facing right now, this is the very place we need to land. We don't know what to do, oh God, but our eyes are on you. Now, it's hard to view this biblical invitation as anything, uh, you know, to turn our eyes to the living God. It's hard to view this as anything other than an invitation to prayer. So this is where I would like us to start our journey together with prayer. 
Now, wait, wait, hold on for a second. I want to make sure you understand what I mean by prayer. The kind of prayer that turns our eyes to God himself intensely and his guidance. So this morning, I won't be calling us to hold special prayer services. I won't be talking today about, um, uh, even though it's very likely that we will have special prayer services. I won't be talking today about developing prayer teams or prayer partners or prayer rooms or prayer vigils in order to discover God's mind on how we might move through this together, although we might indeed employ any or all of those efforts. So I'll be talking about prayer itself, the skill of prayer, the craft of prayer, the way of prayer, as taught to us by the words of God himself in our Bibles. Now, for many people, for many people, prayer is a struggle. It's not not the kind of arrow prayers that we offer up when it occurs to us. Those are easy enough. But the sustained kind of prayer that changes us, that leads us to a deeper knowledge and understanding of God, that's hard for most people. Prayer has always been a struggle for me. Um, even as I became a pastor, prayer just didn't feel natural to me. It always felt uncomfortable, forced, artificial. Um, and unless I was pressed into it, something I just avoided whenever I could. So I loved God, but I didn't love prayer. Uh, now, a life of prayer has been a struggle for me. And maybe, except for a fortunate few of you, I'm guessing that many of you know exactly what I mean. Prayer, regular, sustainable, satisfying, transforming prayer without falling asleep in the middle of it. For some reason, real prayer eludes most of us. So it was during seminary in my 40s that I began rethinking prayer. It started with a passage from a C.S. Lewis book called Letters to Malcolm, Chiefly on Prayer. Um, Lewis's friend, Malcolm, was struggling with the whole idea of prayer. Uh, everything he had experienced regarding prayer in his life seemed so, so churchy so detached from real life. And so he asked C.S. Lewis for help. And here's what Lewis offered his friend. He said, if you want to understand prayer, begin with what you know about friendship. <laughs> begin with what you know about friendship. Connecting prayer with friendship had never occurred to me. No, prayer was a ritual. It was, it was an obligation. It was a religious task to be completed. You know, being with my friends never felt that way. And so I had to rethink everything I thought I knew about prayer. Now, the heart of prayer, of course, is a relationship. 
mean, no, I would say a friendship with God. It's coming to know God better and better and better. And so for the next few weeks then, as we talk about prayer, we're really going to be talking about being friends with the living God. To know him the way we know our very best friends and even better. (laughs) So being friends with God, you know, it's like being friends with anyone else. Friendship's not foreign to us. But being friends with God is also different than being friends with anyone else. Other friendships begin with some version of equal footing, shared interests, uh, shared histories. We're alike in some fundamental way. Our friendship with God begins with the solid knowledge that we are not equals. Not in any way. Our friendship with God can exist only because, as he says in Psalm 13, God humbles himself. He stoops down to us. And to picture the full nature of a friendship with God, we have to consider all kinds of friendships that we know. So, pals, buddies, Is there a dimension of friendship with God that is like being pals, hanging out, enjoying each other's company, having fun, having some adventure together? Well, yeah, it is indeed possible to be pals with the living, eternal God. It's just that being buddies with God isn't all that friendship with him amounts to. So there are other kind of friendships that help us imagine the fullness of of being friends with God. Parents. Now, some of us have enjoyed uh, being great friends with our parents, but it's different than being with our buddies, isn't it? I mean, friendships with our parents always include their role in our lives. We can't outgrow that. And it always includes their memories of us as children, sometimes even before we can remember it. <laughs> you know? Don't get that way with me, Mr. Big Shot. I used to change your diapers. <laughs> I mean, hearing that a lot was just part of being friends with my mother. <laughs> as parents, their position over us is always part of the relationship. And so it is with God. Uh, Mentors. How I have enjoyed my friendships with my mentors over the years. Uh, Now, it is an understood part of the friendship that I need them more than they need me. And that I always have something to learn from them. And so respect and, and deference is part of a friendship with a mentor. And so it is with God. Partners, sharing a common work, a task, a goal. I mean, you can partner with someone without being friends. But, I mean, there is something so great, isn't there? About being friends with those you work side by side with. Spouses. (laughs) Many of us enjoy our very best friendship 
with our spouse. Deeper, longer, more intimate, more exclusive than any other friendship. Affection, loyalty, and to the bone honesty, unlike any other friendship. So even bosses. I mean, what a joy it is to be actual friends with a boss and vice versa. But it's a different kind of friendship, isn't it? With a different set of boundaries and expectations in the relationship. All of these kinds of friendships, and certainly more, are part of what it means to be friends with God. Now, here's something else we know from friendship. We know this instinctively. We speak a different language of friendship in each of these kinds of relationships. I, I converse with my mentors and my parents differently than I do with my buddies or my wife. I mean, we know these different languages of friendship instinctively, and, uh, and we, you know, we can move effort, effortlessly between them. We don't even need to think about it. I mean, picture if you had a buddy, a wife, a boss, and a parent in the same room, you can move between them language to language to language without getting them confused. At least I hope you can. And this is where I'd like to start as we talk about prayer together. Most of us don't have this kind of facility with the various languages of prayer. We only know how to talk with God in one or two languages. Generally, we know the language of petition, you know, asking him for something for ourselves, for our loved ones. And maybe we know the language of praise, mostly through our singing, like we've done this morning. But to know and to be in a deep friendship with God requires knowing more languages of prayer. And this brings us to the Psalms. See, we don't have to invent new languages to be friends with God. We don't have to invent them to talk with Him, to abide with Him, to listen to Him. In other words, to pray. Nor do we have to stumble around in the dark not knowing what to say or just giving it all up. The Psalms teach us to pray. So the book of Psalms, I would imagine you're aware, the book of Psalms was the prayer book of Israel, a collection of prayers and songs that were written for worship and for the prayer life of God's people. So the Psalms are prayers that teach us how to pray. So here's how Eugene Peterson describes the Psalms. He says, the Psalms are the best tool available for teaching us to pray. 150 carefully crafted prayers that attend to the great variety of operations God carries out within us. The Psalms attend to all the parts of life that are at various times and in different ways rebelling and trusting, hurting and praising. So even a quick trip through the book of Psalms, and we can see that they represent as raw material for our prayers and for our friendship with God. They represent everything 
life circumstances can offer us or throw up at us. Now, if, if you're like me, and maybe you were raised in a background like I was, where our tendency is to think that we have to clean ourselves up for prayer. No rebellion, only trust. No pain, only praise. Many of us have been formed to train our prayers in, in sanitized, kind of churchy-sounding languages, uh, even when we feel just absolutely the opposite. But the Psalms are in our Bibles as a demonstration that we can be real with God as we pray. So <laughs> there is not an emotion human beings can experience that is not laid bare in the Psalms. Visceral anger, deep wounded pain, petty jealousy, frustration, as well as joy and relief and gratefulness. So if the Psalms are prayers, they are honest prayers. When we read the Psalms, we begin to see that our God must not be interested in sterilized prayers. He does not require that we put a good face on things if we are to come to him. Whatever state our circumstances leave us in, that's where we begin in our prayers. So that's where we're headed in our series learning how to turn ourselves toward God, to put our eyes upon Him in the midst of whatever life throws our way, to cultivate a transforming friendship with Him in our prayers, to learn the languages of prayer from the prayer book God Himself wrote. <laughs> so, we begin our journey through this this morning with a prayer of confession. Beginning to learn the language of friendship with God with a prayer of confession? Yes, we begin here on purpose. So a friendship with God begins with the humility of honest confession. Coming clean to the one who knows all secrets, right from the start. Honest confession. Well, honest confession between fallen human beings can be a two-edged sword, right? I mean, sometimes it can be helpful and sometimes it can be harmful, but not with God. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So this itself demonstrates in a fundamental difference in our friendships with God and our friendships with people. We have nothing to fear when we confess, confess it all to God. God always responds to confession the same way. He forgives our sin and he purifies us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful and just. 
I mean, yes, our sins deserve punishment, but Jesus has taken our punishment upon himself. It would not be just for God to hand out two punishments for the same sin. Therefore, God always reacts the same way to our confessions. No matter what we confess, we can count on this. Now, unlike our other friends who might react to our confession with anger or disgust, who might re reject us or lash out at us, God cannot, God cannot respond this way. And so friendship with God depends upon an honest recognition that we are not holy, that we are not righteous as he is. Okay, so let's look at a text this morning, Psalm 32. This is a prayer of confession, and we're, we'll concentrate this morning on verses 1 through 6. Ready? Ah, good. So, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Okay, so let's stop and let's unpack what we're praying when we pray those two verses, verses one and two. Blessed is the one. Blessed is the one. Favored by God. Blessed. Experiencing God's faithfulness and mercy. On the right path. That's how we translate what was the Hebrew word here, chesed. We translate that as being on the right path with God. I mean, this is how friends of God live, with a joy and a freedom in life that transcends everything else life can offer. Nothing is better than being blessed by God. And once we've experienced it, to live without God's blessing is excruciating. I mean, look at verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. So David wrote this song, this prayer, like he did so many others in the prayer book. And he knew what it was like to live blessed by God. He knew what a deep friendship with God was like. You remember Psalm 23. It's a prayer that was written to describe living as one blessed by God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall want for nothing. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He prepares a table for me. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will be with me all my days. So David wrote Psalm 23 as a young boy, experiencing the blessed of God. But now, as an adult, as king, through some grievous action on his part, probably his sins with Bathsheba and her husband Uriah, David experiences a breach in this friendship with God, and it feels horrible. He needs to confess. So here's something to notice. There are four words 
carefully woven into the first two verses of Psalm 32 that help us get this dynamic of a breach friendship with God. Four different types of breaches that we need to confess in our lives individually. <laughs> so first one, transgressions. Did you see that? So that's, that's from a Hebrew word which means rebellion. <laughs> rebellion it's forgetting who God is, who he is. And also it's not caring who God is. And so we do what we want instead of what he wants, rebellion, transgression. Then also in verse, uh, verse one, there's sins, plural. And in Hebrew, this particular word means going astray, getting off the path that God established. The Greek equivalent of this word, missing the mark. Um, uh, God designed the way life is intended to be lived. And getting off his path is dangerous for us and for others. So sins. And then in verse 2, many English translations say there is a second word, sin. But in Hebrew, it's not the same word as we saw up in verse 1. This time it's a word that we've translated as inequity a little later in the, the psalm, inequity. And this word means twisting the truth, telling lies, half-truths, misrepresenting what really happened. So, inequity. Transgressions, sins, inequity. All of which we do. David did them, I do them, you do them. And we do them with some regularity in our lives. They are characteristic behaviors of every broken human heart. It's the fourth, the fourth word, though, deceit, that completes the package and compounds the problem. Deceit, disguising, covering up our transgressions, sins, and inequity. And deceit is the problem. It's the center of the problem in building a real friendship with God, attempting to cover up our true nature, justifying ourselves, minimizing our part in things when we tell the story, ignoring our fault altogether. So how did David practice deceit with God? Again, verse 3, by keeping silent, by not confessing. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. It's a confession. It's, it's the answer to all four of our problems. Rebellion, going astray, twisting the truth, and especially trying to cover up our, our true nature. Confession is the answer. The only answer for a friendship with God. Verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my inequity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. So confession is the foundation of our life with God, our friendship with him. Authentic confession. Heartfelt confession. Persistent confession. And not just saying the words, but engaging with them. I'm not trying to cover up who I am or what I do from you, God. You know me to the core. 
So pretending I am righteous in this thing, well, it's no good. Comparing myself to the sins of others, it's no good. So, is confession, honest, authentic confession, part of your life with God? Or is it something that you kind of wave at and then move on? Is it a ritual? Is it a part of your life at all? David wrote Psalm 51, another masterful prayer of confession. And in it, he acknowledges this truth about God's nature. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart for you, God, you will not despise. So real confession with a broken and contrite heart before God is that part of your prayer life. Do you have language for it? Do you just try to get it over with with, with a quick, I'm sorry, God, I'll never do it again. So let me suggest something. Let me suggest that you begin developing the habit of using the Psalms in your prayer life to build real confession into your relationship with God. I mean, it will help you keep your eyes on Him or off yourself and the threats to your happiness or safety. Confession. Use our text, Psalm 32. Or use Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now, there are other psalms of confession. Maybe you want to jot these down if you can. Psalm 6, Psalm 38, Psalm 130. Mark them in your Bibles. Uh, go to them often. And offer a broken spirit and a contrite heart to God using their words if you don't have words of your own. And do it regularly. Praying the Psalms. So that's the title of this series. Uh, and uh, am I suggesting, <laughs> as many teachers have done over the centuries, that you develop the habit of reading Psalms like these out loud? As prayers? No, it's not a crazy idea. <laughs> Psalms have served that function throughout the history of the church. You and I happen to live during a small sliver of church history that prefers our prayers to be informal and spontaneous. It's more heartfelt that way. It's more authentic than prayers that are written out by someone else, right? <laughs> well, maybe. But it's probably also true that our informal, spontaneous prayers can be pretty one-dimensional. Often our spontaneous prayers amount to a, just a list of requests, as if our only prayer language with God was, was petition, asking for what we want or what we need. How often do our informal, spontaneous prayers include a clear confession of our transgressions? our sins, our iniquities, our deceit. So yes, I encourage you to start praying the Psalms as prayer, 
as prayers of confession. Read them out loud. Let Israel's prayer book teach you how to pray this foundational kind of prayer. And start now. I mean, the last line of our text, Psalm 32, therefore, let the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Let's not presume on God. Today, if you hear his voice, today, respond. Build confession into your prayer life as a regular part of your friendship with God. Now, let me say, as I, as I pull this together, uh, just to be clear, I am not, I'm not bringing the prayers of confession before you because I suspect that some of you have things you need to confess as you've responded to the pain of the last few months. Maybe things you've said or done out of your own pain. Maybe things, uh, bitter attitudes toward others or anger that you've nursed along. Now, these things may or may not be true for you. That's between you and God to determine. So no, I'm talking about confession this morning. It's for all of us in all times, in all places, humbling ourselves before God. It is the beginning posture that creatures take to be in relationship with their God. Think of it this way. Confession is the air we breathe out as we breathe in the life saving mercy of God. Mercy. Confession. So let's enter into that kind of prayer together this morning. And let's do this using words God gave us for the occasion. Would you, brothers and sisters, confess with me? Read with me. Have mercy on me, O God, According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So with that introduction, we're just going to pause for a while in the service now, as we've done the last several weeks for time of prayer. And if confession is something God has laid upon your heart specific and between you and God, now would be a time to do that. Um, some of us will be up front here if you want to come and, um, and share that confession. Uh, or if you just want someone to say, uh, you know, hear this person's prayer, oh God, we'll be up front to help. And then when we kind of pull it all together again, we will return to Scripture to hear the words of assurance that give us comfort in the midst of confession. And now, because he is risen, hear these words of assurance. 
If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.